I'm Peter Solomon, and you're listening to Jazz 88. I'm very excited to be speaking with Scotty Barnhart today. He has directed the Count Basie Orchestra and played trumpet with that ensemble for two decades now. And he's directing the Minnesota Music Educators All-State Jazz Band at the Dakota for two sets tonight. Welcome, Scotty. It's so nice to have you here. Well, thanks very much for having me. My pleasure. Um, I wanted to get you to talk a little bit about your own background. Can you tell me about how you came to play the trumpet? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, my mother was a musician. She played piano and she sang in the church choir, and sometimes, you know, she would go on tour a little bit. But So basically, I got my, my musical genetics, I guess you could say, from her. And when I got to fifth grade, exactly 50 years ago, it was 1974, at that time in the DeKalb County Public Schools, which is part of Atlanta, they ask every all the students if you want to be in a band, just take a choose an instrument, whatever you want, but take this permission slip home, get your parents to sign it, buy whatever instrument you want to get, and come back to school with it. And whatever you come back with, we'll place you in the proper group, you know. So I asked for a violin because I had seen one of the students in school with a violin, and I thought, oh, that looks cool. Let me see if I can get one of those. So I asked my parents to get a violin. They said, sure, we'll, we'll get you a violin. Barnhart's mother took a trip to the music store to go pick up her son's new instrument. The day came, I'm waiting outside, you know, in our patio area, and she drives down in the car, and I'm thinking violin, you know, so I <laughs> rush over to the car, and she opened the trunk, and there was a black case sitting in the trunk, and she opened this case up, man, and there was a silver trumpet in it. And I've never looked back, I've been playing trumpet 50 years now. That's how I got started. My mother simply didn't get the violin. She got a trumpet instead. And uh, I never even questioned it, you know. But years later, I was giving another interview, and I had to finally ask my mom, I was like, why did you uh, get a trumpet? And she said really simply, well, when I got to the store, a lot of the other parents were there too, and the line to get the violins was too long. The line was too long. And there was nobody in the other line to go get the brass stuff, so I went over to the brass part of the store and, got, and picked the trumpet. <laughs> That's it, man. So what what um, eventually led you to focus on jazz? Well, you know, I grew up in Ebenezer Baptist Church with Daddy King, Dr. King Sr. My family's been at that church for 120 years. In fact, I was baptized by him and christened by Dr. King Jr. So my family and the King family have been very close for over 120 years. But the reason I bring that up is that Ebenezer, even to this day, has four choirs. I think they still have four. One of them was a church choir that my mother was in. They did Handel and Bach and things like that with the big pipe organ, you know. Then there was a male chorus, children's choir that I was in for a little bit. And then what we call the ML King Choir. Daddy King had his own choir that he would take with him whenever he would go places. And that choir was the only one that used the Hammond B3 organ, which is prevalent in jazz. You know, Jimmy Smith, Dr. Lonnie Smith, all these people. So I grew up listening to that one Sunday out of the month with the organist, you know, walking the bass lines with his left foot. You know, so by the time I heard Basie, I said, oh, that's the same thing I hear in church. Same exact thing. And, and I, tell, I was just telling students the other day when I was in Texas, the jazz orchestra is simply an extension of the gospel choir. That's all it is. It's just more sophisticated. You know, so when I heard Basie, I was hearing the same thing I heard in church. So I understood it. I could gravitate toward it easily. I loved it as soon as I heard it. So that's how I got into jazz. And then from there, I think I heard a Freddie Hubbard record when I was 12. I was at the home of a late friend of ours, Congressman John Lewis. I was at his house and he had a great album collection. And I put on his record and it was Freddie Hubbard. 
that changed my life uh, as far as the trumpet was concerned because I've never heard the trumpet played like that. Right. And I was 11 or 12 or so, man. So we just always had music in the house and I had great teachers and band directors, you know, in high school, Gordon Borkin, my late band director in high school, he always had something playing when students walked in, whenever we would come in the band room. I was always surrounded by music, always in the marching band, just doing stuff all the time. And then Basie came to Atlanta when I was 14, I think. And my high school band director walked up to me one day out of the clear blue and said, look, man, Count Basie is in town and you're going to see him. And he walked off. <laughs> Rest is history. So can you, you talk go. Can you talk about what that initial encounter with Count Basie and his orchestra was like? Oh, man, that was insane, man. I mean, I'm sitting in the front row and I just remember a wall of sound flushing over me. this big wall of sound and the feeling of, again, it was like I was listening to a gospel choir again, but more sophisticated with instruments, you know? So the feeling, that innate, that feeling that gets into the core of your bones, like in your spine, that makes you, you know, move, you know, and feel good all over and feel great about life, that's what I felt. And I said to myself, you know, man, I, this is just incredible. So I saw them again a second time, probably two years later, maybe three years later, they were back in Atlanta. And that time, I actually met the entire orchestra, except Mr. Basie, and I knew then I would be in the orchestra someday. I just knew. It wasn't even a question. I wasn't, I wasn't even nervous about it. I just knew deep down, oh, yep, this is, this is me. I'm going to be here one day. And I was, what, 17 at the time? But I knew it. And sure enough, less than 10 years later, they called me. You've been directing the band for some time now. And mm -hmm. so I was kind of curious, like your most recent album, uh, Basie Swings mm -hmm. the Blues. I mean, this yeah. is like kind of part and parcel what Basie has done since the 1930s. Like the blues has mm -hmm. always been essential with Basie's band. Yeah. So when you're leading the Basie Orchestra and, and kind of picking repertoire for the group, how much mm -hmm. uh, liberty do you have to kind of go in a slightly different direction than the Count himself might have gone? Like, do you feel like there's room for experimentation or do you consider yourself uh, responsible for sort of preserving the legacy of Basie? Both. Yes to both of those questions. And the reason is, Basie didn't mind the musician. Like, if you go back and listen to the history of the orchestra, I mean, really listen to all the recordings. When bebop came in play, came into play in the early 50s and late 40s, there were some compositions that Basie started playing that sounded, they were basically bebop oriented or bebop based. But his only request was, of the uh, arrangers and composers that were writing these new charts, as long as the people can feel the beat, it's okay. Basie knew, he knew the limitations of what he really wanted his band to be doing. Mm -hmm. So he he kept it in a certain realm, so to speak, and I know exactly what that realm is. So I know exactly how far we can go. And I've gotten people's people have sent me arrangements and I can listen to them in the first two or three bars and almost know this is not going to work or it's going to work. So I'm very careful to make sure we don't stray far at all from what Mr. Basie sat down and laid down for 50 years in a row. I have a whole history in front of me, so it's not difficult. All I have to do is pay attention to it and study it. And the other thing I would say this is still Mr. Basie's orchestra. This is not my orchestra. It'll never be anybody else's orchestra. So whatever he was doing, that's what we need to be doing. And I just happen to love that. I don't have my, you know, something, well, maybe let me play what I want. No, I don't know. I wouldn't be here if I was thinking like that. Gotcha. So I understand that this is his orchestra. It will always be his orchestra, even after I'm gone. And as long as the person who comes after me understands that, this orchestra could be here for two, 300 years. 
Can you talk a little bit about the, the album that just was awarded a Grammy? What was the idea behind Basie Swings the Blues? Because I know you brought on a lot of guest artists for this recording. Yeah, well, what happened in 2019, Count Basie was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in Memphis, Tennessee by the Blues Foundation. So I had to go there and accept the award on his behalf and make a little speech, you know, thank everybody. But while I was there, the Blues Awards were going on. It's like the Grammys for the Blues, you know. And they asked me while I was there if I would mind being a uh, presenter. Somebody could make it or something. I said, sure, I'll, you know, I, I'll do that. So you just read the teleprompter when they walk on stage, give them the award. That's all you got to do. So I did that for like five or six people. Then I went back to my table. And as I'm sitting at this big table, there had to be like 10 of us. I'm sitting next to uh, Bobby Rush, the legendary Bobby Rush, right? And uh, and then it just dawned on me. I was like, man, you know, this is this needs to be our next album. When we record next, we need to do an album with these musicians, these blues musicians, because it's never been done before, which was still shocking to me. I thought somebody like Quincy or somebody would have at least had the idea to take the top blues musicians of that day and the top jazz orchestra and put them together and do it. Nobody had done that. So that presented a problem because then I didn't have a reference point or I didn't have a, something in my mind or concrete or I, that I could go to on iTunes or YouTube or whatever and pull it up and study it and check it out. So for a year, I am just had this, had this idea. I just couldn't, I don't know how to make it sound. So finally, on the very day that COVID shut everything down. It was March 20th, 2020. That same week, that same weekend, we had a private uh, function that we had to do the Basie Orchestra for a private wedding reception for a very successful uh, businessman. So we're doing it, we're playing, we're dancing, they're dancing, we're playing and everything. And so we played this one song that they had requested for the groom and the bride to dance to, which was Froggy to the Moon, the Sinatra Basie version. You know, So we played that. And after we were done, the groom, he walks up to the stage and says, do you mind if I sit in with the band? So now any band leader will tell you, when somebody comes up and asks you that, either one, they can really play, or two, they have no idea what they're doing, they just want to show off in front of their friends because it's their party, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought I saw, thought for a quick second, I said, ah, man, okay, sure, because it's his house, it's private, nobody's going to film it, sure, man. So I said, well, he, was, he goes to get his guitar, comes back, and I said, well, what do you want to play? He said, well, how about the blues? I said, all right. So I counted the guys off, I picked the key of G, you know, and I said, okay, guys, here we go, one, a two, and I just had the band start the you know start playing first, to set, setting it up. And let me tell you, man, when this guy came in and started playing electric guitar, and I'm not exact, and I write about this in the liner notes too. He sounded like every blues guitarist ever, all rolled into one. I couldn't believe what I was hearing or seeing. I couldn't believe it. It was at that exact second that I said, Ah, this is what I've been hearing in my mind for a year. This is it. This is it. This is the sound. There you go. It, it worked out. <laughs> Absolutely. It was incredible because I knew I knew how it could sound. And even when we got to the studio and started recording, it blew me away even more. I'm like, oh, man, this is incredible. I can't believe nobody ever thought of it. That's the thing that kills me. Nobody ever thought of that. And see, this also cements the fact my belief that this the way of the world man is collaboration not competition all of this competition people want to stay in their lane only play classical music or only play rock and roll or only play country man collaborate with people 
then you'd be shocked at the great uh, results that you could get. You just have to study it and not do it just to be doing it, just to be doing it. I would love to collaborate with a, with a great country star or a great rapper or something, man. I really would love to do that because it can be done. It can be done. So this album, from that little idea that I had in my mind to a Grammy, man, that's crazy. You can't predict that kind of stuff. And I, my only concern was to make sure that musically it was done the right way. And that's what I did. Now, turning to um, the Allstate uh, Jazz Orchestra that you're going to be directing at the Dakota on, on Friday yeah. the 16th, can you tell me like what kind of repertoire that you're going to be performing? Are you, are you guys going to be doing some bassy stuff, or do you, have you figured yeah, out something yet? Yeah, we're doing bassy stuff. I had to remember what, what charts the charts there. But yeah, we're doing some bassy stuff. We're doing the, the blues. The main thing about that band is that everybody will have a chance to play a solo. Everyone, you know, who wants one. And that's pretty much everybody in the band. I gave them some challenging music to work with, and they they stepped up to the challenge. And so we're going to get together Friday and rehearse and, and just have a good time playing, man. It's all about making the audience feel good at the end of the day. The, the audience is what the goal. To make the audience feel welcome and feel good about life when we're done is the goal. And that starts on the stage with us. So that's why I always make sure that they're having a good time, that they're comfortable. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a disciplinarian, too. I don't let things slide. If somebody's missing something, messing something up in a rehearsal or missing a note or afraid or whatever, I'll fix it. You know, and get us straight, make sure we're together and having a good time. And then it'll translate over to the audience. So by the time we play Friday night, we'll be loose and ready to go, man. Scotty, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Scotty. I hope you have a wonderful day. I really appreciate it. Okay, you too, man. Trumpeter Scotty Barnhart. He's the leader of the Count Basie Orchestra. He just won a Grammy with that band for their recent release, Basie Swings the Blues. And he's directing the Minnesota Music Educators All-State Jazz Band at the Dakota for two sets tonight. I'm Peter Solomon. This is Listener Driven Jazz 88. (laughs) ¶¶